The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled A Closer Look at Telehealth for PrEP, Best Practices for PrEP Delivery in a Unique Era of Care. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash AHC 860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Welcome to today's webinar. Today we'll be speaking about a closer look at telehealth for PrEP, the best practices for PrEP delivery in a unique era of care. There are two oral medications that are approved for PrEP use today. That would be the first one, FTC-TDF, emtricitabine, and tenofovir disoprixyl fumarate. It's recommended for all people at risk for HIV. And then we have FTC and TAF, also recommended for people at risk through HIV, um, for HIV through sexual transmission, excluding people at risk through receptive vaginal sex. And in terms of the efficacy, when taken as prescribed, PrEP is safe and highly effective in preventing HIV. It reduces the risk of getting HIV from sex by 99%. And among people who inject drugs, PrEP can reduce the risk of HIV by at least 74%. In 2021, a long-acting injectable medication called cabotegravir was approved for intramuscular injection every two months. And additional long-acting injectables and implantables are in development today. Next, we're gonna focus our attention to the CDC guidance um, that was developed in December 2021 this updated guidance includes indications for PrEP for sexually active persons with an algorithm that is on the slide before you. First starts with anal and vaginal sex in the past six months. And if there's a yes or a no to that answer, it allows you to bridge into the next algorithm. And more importantly, PrEP has been known to be prescribed and effective and is offered in situations where there may be an HIV positive partner condomless sex, as well as known history of bacterial STIs in the last six months. In terms of who would benefit for PrEP and how we've been doing today as a nation, an estimated 1.2 million persons in the United States had indications for PrEP in 2020, but only 25% were prescribed, and coverage remains uneven across racial and ethnic groups. You can see 9% of all Black African-American persons that are eligible or would benefit from PrEP, only 9% have been prescribed. In terms of trends of PrEP use and associated behaviors before and after COVID, we see on the slide here today, after 2020, when we had the COVID epidemic begin, we saw a sharp decline in PrEP prescriptions, access to care, and changes in behavior related to consistent sexual activity and condomless sex. In terms of the benefits and challenges that are potentially associated with providing prep care through a virtual setting or teleprep services, we'll discuss the benefits and challenges and I'll turn it over to my colleague Faith to start out with some benefits from her point of view. Thank you, Dr. Patel. So there were a lack of care services that were available in non-traditional healthcare settings that are now being able to be available through teleprep services, as well as culturally competent prep care um, in both urban and rural settings. In addition to this, we can kind of expand the access of high quality care 
And there's a lot of cost savings. So you think about the cost when it comes to having to travel to a facility and having to have an in-person visit, the cost is a lot different. And it's also definitely a lot more convenient to be able to be in the comfort of a patient's home and to do um, a prep visit. Another thing that we talk about specifically with you know HIV prevention is definitely stigma. So when we talk about stigma, um, a lot of places that do do HIV prevention services may have something attached with them, such as this is a place where you only go if you have HIV. Excellent. And now we can um, you know move over to the challenges. Um, Faith, go ahead. Um, can you outline some of the challenges from your point of view? Of course. So the first challenge can definitely be having a reliable infrastructure. When we first started doing a lot of teleprep visits, some facilities did not have anything in place. So you definitely have to think about what policies and procedures were going to be behind that. And also for the patient, you have to think about, do they have all of the things that they need to do this visit? Do they have Wi-Fi? Do they have different type of technological resources for them? Um, And again, we're talking about um, supportive tools and we're talking about the patient's acceptability. So some people aren't going to want to be seen virtually. That's just a reality of the situation. And um, also the reimbursement model. So again, we're talking about rules and regulations. We're talking about policies and procedures. You have to have those things in place and understand what are the regulations um, surrounding teleprep services or telehealth services in general. The last thing that has been a concern and a barrier um, would be in-person visit needs. So if you are trying to do something that requires a physical or requires lab work, you do have to figure out how to uh, navigate getting that patient to still come in for their labs, even if they've already seen you for a visit. Excellent. And over the course of this webinar, we will also discuss what are some ways to set up your telehealth and teleprep programs so you can overcome these challenges. Thank you, Faith, for um, highlighting the benefits and challenges of teleprep services. And so when we start looking at the telehealth continuum of care and the teleprep continuum of care, I wanna outline so we're on the same page when we deliver services. You know, first we're gonna get an HIV test. Then based on that negative HIV test, we're gonna talk about PrEP and link to a prevention services. So that's linking to possibly a prep navigator, linking to a doctor's office or provider's office, attending that appointment, getting a prescription, um, knowing where that pharmacy is, and then we move into retention. So after we link and initiate um, PrEP as a medication to prevent HIV along with all the comprehensive strategies that we um, deliver with PrEP, We're gonna also go ahead and start thinking about how we can retain the individual to come to the three-month appointment, the six-month appointment, the nine-month appointment, or the every three-month appointment as the CDC guidelines have outlined for PrEP monitoring and care. And what does that require during the telehealth and the telehealth team process? And then also, how are we gonna have appropriate adherence and um, other pill-taking support with the use of your team when you are seeing someone virtually instead of in your clinic, like you were doing um, possibly a lot more pre-pandemic. So we're gonna next talk about providing the nuts and bolts of PrEP through telehealth. And so in general, the following procedures are really part of what the care plan should look like. 
conduct your PrEP screening, initiate and follow up by phone or web-based um, services, obtain specimens um, such as laboratory tests, you know, on-site, order it at home, figure out a system, um, you know, with kits and self-collection, or have a home nurse go to the home and actually collect um, and perform phlebotomy. And for HIV testing, again, you know, only if the patient has no possible access to a lab, you know, can cl clinicians possibly consider an oral swab for an oral self-test, but that's the last resort. And there needs to be mechanisms of, you know, test results sharing, photos, et cetera. Um, again, this needs to be individualized to the patient in front of you and what the resources you have in terms of in your clinic. And then of course, you know, writing the prescription, if you've documented an HIV negative test, then prescribe for about 90 days and have something set up so that the person can get their prescription um, or their medication dispensed by going to the pharmacy or delivering it um, through the mail. And so the components of a teleprep program will involve the following, an intake, documentation of your note, the consent, scheduling, rooming, finding a safe space, um, conducting diagnoses, coordinating yourself with the lab, making a schedule for initial and follow-up, offering medical services, behavioral services, other support services, trying to get vitals through a remote patient monitoring or some self-conduction um, of vitals and a report of that. Of course, we talked about phlebotomy and labs and reporting, even if it's self-testing, how do you self-report? And then prescribing and having a coordination with the pharmacy for delivery, et cetera. Um, other types of care coordination, insurance navigators, et cetera, prep navigators, teleprep navigators, and then acute care. Um, do we send people to the emergency room? Is there an acute walk-in clinic? Is there an acute care? What do you do if someone has um, needs a physical exam? How have you put that into your teleprep, teleprep program? And as well as reportable events, such as STIs that are reportable to the health department, have you, how have you ironed that out? And so we can look at um, looking at telehealth models and outpatient care models um, and find what you were doing different in person with, you know, different telehealth modalities. Some of those modalities include telephone, video, smartphone, tablets. You know, you can break up the way you create a teleprep program through your patients, your clinicians and your technology. And so what type of technology does your prep user have? or the client in front of you, or the patient in front of you? Um, do they have a safe space with that? Do they know how to use that technology? And then the clinicians, the providers, the support staff, how are they using telehealth? How are they um, prepared and has that been implemented? And then, you know, the technology and the structural infrastructure, have you integrated with your electronic medical record system, the consent, the documentation, the Zoom button or the Doxy button? And more importantly, have you documented the way you're going to do reimbursement, um, scheduling for future appointments in person versus not in person? And then some key considerations about appropriateness for telehealth visits include the patient's kind of health status. Are they really sick and is telehealth um, really the way to go or do they need in person for a physical exam and other, you know, um, in-person modalities to meet their clinical needs? Um, you know, is this the initial diagnosis where you want to make an initial rapport or more complex diagnostic um, evaluation versus routine care? 
You want to look at administrative coordination, comprehensive physical exams, lab work. You want to look at satisfaction and patient preferences, staffing capacity, and the training required, technology availability, including um, you know, the, the cameras built in, the audio built in, um, the integration of the EHR or electronic medical record, HIPAA compliant telehealth services and all the equipment that you'll need, as well as have you integrated a system with your telehealth visit where you have appropriate psychosocial support services and other referral services for um, you know, uh, housing, food support, um, income and, and insurance. Next, when we talk about prescribing, we can refer to the CDC's EffectiveInterventions.org website, where they really break up PrEP into three phases, screening, PrEP initiation, and follow-up. We talked about screening initially through the CDC guidance. Then there's the initial clinical evaluation with an HIV test, ideally performed and negative within five to seven days before the prescription is um, created and sent to the pharmacy. You'll also um, ask about a history of uh, kidney or liver disease. You'll look at other medications for drug interactions, and you'll um, um, obtain other labs such as pregnancy testing for women. You'll look at initiation um, where you review the prep basics and prescribe for up to 90 days. And then you'll have three to six month follow-up with HIV testing, prescriptions, risk reduction counseling, adherence counseling, um, as well as very importantly, um, also your kidney testing, depending on what agent that you've prescribed. So now we're gonna discuss the do's and don'ts of telehealth visits. And so the common sense don'ts are, don't jump into or rush out of a session, build rapport, take that time because it is a virtual environment. Try to not lose power internet connection so you don't have a choppy conversation where you're missing vital information. And some do's are provide some different options or phone or video, establish the purpose of the visit and the next steps, especially since it's a virtual visit, really check the background lighting and the background you're using so it's, you're visible to the client and make sure the client has a safe space in a private environment and make sure you play, pay close attention to voice nuances, pitches, inflection, as well as visual observations, because this is part of your um, physical exam. And encourage in-person visits as needed. Now, when we're talking about how to really start having a conversation about PrEP, it all begins with starting to have a candid conversation about a person's sexual activity and about their overall sexual health. There are four things that you really have to make sure that you're assessing with the client. You'll have to start with asking them about their partners, asking them what are their sexual practices, asking them what are their past history of STIs, what kind of protection they use from STIs, and also in addition to this, you wanna ask them about their pregnancy plan. Now, when we're talking about partners, we're talking about asking them things about just in general. Tell me about your sex life and what are the genders of your partners? 
Again, we want to make sure that we are not assuming anything when we have a client in front of us. Now, when it comes to practices, again, is definitely something that you want to ask the client. You want to make sure that you're being very specific, that you all are using the same language and you're asking things about what sexual acts they're doing. So that can be, are they having insertive sex or are they having receptive sex and anything related to what parts they're using? So are you use are you having sex? Um, are you using your penis? Are you receiving um, oral sex with someone who has a vagina. You want to make sure that you're clear on what parts everyone has and what kind of sexual activity is going on. When it comes to the history of their STIs or what type of protection, this can be really key when you're considering um, who will benefit from PrEP. So you want to make sure that you understand if they've had any past history with STIs and if they're using any type of protection, what those protections are. And we can also identify appropriate anatomical sites for certain STI tests. Some um, providers may not know whether or not they should do an anal swab, for example. So if you do take a sexual history of a client, you will know exactly what type of test they will need and what type of test they may not need. Lastly, you will know the appropriate prevention methods for that client. The worst thing that we can do is to recommend something for a client that just won't work for them. So you want to talk to them about what they're currently using, if they're using anything, and really tell them what are their options so that they can figure out what will be best for them and what they're going to actually utilize. Lastly, when it comes to pregnancy plans, you just want to make sure that you're having a comprehensive or full look of their sexual health so that you can make sure you're helping them make the best decisions. Now, here are some tips for discussing sexual history. First, you want to assess your own comfort. And by discussing sex with various pacing groups, you'll kind of be able to identify what your biases may be. And so when you have those biases, you want to make sure that you're combating those Things to do to combat some biases you may have or to really you know, level up your comfort would be to talk to some of those people in your clinic or in your field that really do this sexual health work on a regular basis. They can kind of tell you what to expect, what are the things that may surprise you, and really some things that'll help you when you're having these type of conversations with your patients. Um, and that will also help you with the next point, which is making your clients feel comfortable. You want to establish a rapport and you want to make sure that you're good with asking, asking sensitive questions so that they'll be comfortable answering them. Again, big, big thing. Avoid any assumptions about your patient. You want to avoid any assumptions you may have based on their age, their appearance, even their marital status. You would be surprised um, of some of the things that you may have to just kind of throw out the window that you knew before that you will learn by having these conversations with different clients. Um, another thing is to try not to react overtly. So your facial expressions, you know, if the client is smiling, laughing, you want to smile, you know, laugh with them, but definitely anything that will give off the, the tone that you are what we call yucking their yum or making what they love seem like a bad or a negative thing, you want to avoid any expressions that may give off that type of attitude or tone. Um, and then also be okay with rephrasing your questions and making sure that you and your patient share an understanding of terms. Sometimes people call things all different types of names that you may not have heard of, or some of the terms that you use may not be familiar for the patient. So you just want to make sure that you are able to understand each other. And that if someone uses a certain term, you ask them right in that, in that moment, if you don't understand it, what it is. And so that you're able to give them the best advice and medical care possible. Um, last thing we want to make sure that you are using the correct pronouns for your client. So the best thing to do is ask. Now we 
mostly talk about this when we talk about our transgender clients, but really if you use pronouns and ask people what their pronouns is are no matter what, uh, you'll be able to kind of normalize these conversations and make sure that you don't forget to ask people what their pronouns are. Um, now with teleprep navigation, um, peer navigators can be a really big support for you because they can provide basic prep education. They can assist with pill taking support, which we talk about adherence a lot. They can also assist with attending prep appointments. So they can be the ones that are really assisting the client with care retention and making sure they're coming to their routine visits, getting their routine labs. They're kind of checking up on that and noticing, hey, this client hasn't come in for four months. Let's figure out what's going on and get them in. And they can also assist with finding technical devices, internet hubs, and safe spaces for prep visits. Oftentimes, those teleprep navigators or peer navigators, community health educators, what have you, they are really tapped into community resources. So they may be able to identify resources for the patient to maybe get techno technological services or maybe be able to help them uh, be creative about how they create a safe space, a safe space within their environment. And so I talked about um, how a navigator can kind of help with prep adherence, but a provider is a really key part of prep adherence when it comes to making sure that a client will take their medication as prescribed. Dr. Patel, can you please talk a little bit about um, medication adherence from a provider side? Yeah, I think we can um, break up pill taking support or medication adherence counseling into kind of three big categories. The first is establishing trust and, um, you know, bi-directional uh, communication and really simple explanations about, you know, how do you take this pill every day? If I forget a pill, what do I do? What are some common practices about, um, you know, reminding myself to take a pill? And then, um, you know, the support is the second category, you know, actually having some strategies that you outline and create a care plan for the client, you know, put the bottle near your shoes or the cereal or you're near your toothbrush. If there's stigma related to the bottle, this is what else you can do. So actually having concrete tailored plans created within the clinic visit and over time through multiple discussions and reevaluating and reiteratively revising that plan is important. And again, tailoring it to that patient based on what the feedback they got on how this is working. And the third component after establishing trust, providing some concrete examples for um, adherence taking is um, monitoring medication adherence in a non-judgmental manner. So really normalizing and and, and having positive energy and an encouragement when someone says, oh, I forgot to take my med. Um, so, you know, you're, you're trying to like be in this process with them and saying, you know, it's normal that everyone who's just starting a pill and they're not used to it, that, you know, can take up to several months to really get a routine, but you know, how can we help you? And now we're gonna transition into some resources available for you. So remember, there are plenty of telehealth and technological resources first by the CDC, HRSA, the National Telehealth Association, um, there's practitioner's guides, and then we've got Health HIV, NASTED, and several other um, organizations that are focused on HIV and PrEP that also have telehealth guides, including Prime Health and um, in association with the CDC. And now Faith is gonna talk about paying for PrEP. These resources that you see on the screen right now 
are all websites that clients can go to when it comes to um, figuring out what resources are right for them. What do they qualify for when it comes to paying for prep? So I would definitely say become familiar with these sites. Now, um, from a patient perspective, let's talk about what are the do's and don'ts for a telehealth visit. Starting out with those don'ts, we don't want you to arrive late or to be multitasking. So when you have a televisit, we know it may be, you know, easy for you to be multitasking, maybe in the car, driving, what have you, but it still is important as an in-person visit. So we definitely want you to take it seriously in that right. And we want you to approach it as a doctor's visit and not as a social phone call. So even if you have a really good rapport with your, your provider and you all talk very candidly, we want to make sure that you're taking this seriously and that you're getting what the best things that you can out of your visit. Now, do find a safe space that is comfortable place to have a conversation and treat it like an in-person appointment, as well as come prepared with questions in advance for your visit. Even write them down if you need to so that you don't forget and share your goals before and during the visit. You also want to speak slow and loud enough so that the provider can understand you. Um, maybe taking long pauses so that you can overcome any type of technological delays and also complete the recommended instructions before the visit or whatever you can. If you can get your test before the visit, just so that you all can talk about it in that sex session. And the last thing would be request next steps, such as setting up any referrals, sending any prescription or any follow up notes. So just make sure that, you know, when you come to the visit, you're heavily prepared so that you're able to talk about everything. You don't leave the visit saying, oh, darn, I forgot to talk about this or that. Just make sure that you come so that you can handle everything at one time. Now, when we talk about the patient experience with teleprep, um, you want to kind of ask, what is the patient experience and kind of like, how does technology reduce anxieties, stigmas, and other barriers associated with seeking PrEP? For my conversations that I've had with clients, it has really been a, a big thing as far as being able to use their technology and not have to come into the office. They're able to kind of stay in their own comfortable place. And it sometimes can make them even more comfortable to have an environment um, to talk about these sensitive topics that we're talking about uh, when we come with sexual history and we come with PrEP. Now, does it improve adherence? I think that some of my experience has kind of shown that it does. Um, some of my experience with the patients that I've had has been that we're able to have those conversations and even sometimes we're right on the phone right there, they're able to show me something. So oftentimes you may tell a client to bring something with them, bring their pill medication to the, the um, visit. But if they're at home, they may be able to show you, they may be able to tell you, okay, I put my medicine right here. This is what I use. And you all can have a conversation that way. And some other benefits would just be pretty much um, the timeliness of it. So less patients are late to these prep visits or to these telehealth visits because they're right there and they're able to log in at the, with the you know, ease of technology. Um, we know that limitations may be if they don't have you know, the best technology, if they don't have good service. Um, but most of the time, patients are really able to find benefits when it comes to their teleprep appointments. And, you know, they're able to get their lab work in at a more convenient time, but they don't have to wait, you know, weeks or weeks at a time to find time to take off work or to visit the clinic. So I think that's been a really good patient experience. 
Thank you, Faith, for going over the lessons learned from the patient perspective. So I'm gonna present two cases for the audience today, and we're gonna talk about some of the conversations and some of the follow-up that you can um, create for that teleprep care. The first one is a 28-year-old gay male who's seen in the um, emergency room. He's then referred to your clinic or your um, um, program for STI symptoms um, and treatment and follow-up care for a diagnosed STI in the emergency room. And then to move forward and have that next step in that person's care with the discussion of um, possibly using PrEP. And then the second case is a 28-year-old cisgender woman who comes to a walk-in clinic and you're discussing um, the STI symptoms she may have, but also what are other um, important parts of her healthcare today that you can offer, which may include PrEP. So, um, you know, I think I wanna highlight the first thing is when I see patients in clinic, um, I, th I think it's really important to ask them, you know, what do they think about their healthcare and their perceived risk? And, you know, do they think they're at risk for getting HIV and future STIs? I also ask, what is it they do now to possibly um, help them prevent getting STIs and HIV? I stay away from very absolute terms, like how do you protect yourself? Like, how do you not do this? Um, I try to have a safe space, offer confidentiality, offer trust. And I also um, am very um, keen on um, letting people know immediately that it may take one or two clinic visits to, to have the conversation. I want to stop there. Faith, there, there are other ways you kind of make a warm environment or, or start the conversation with um, a new client? I think it's definitely about kind of picking their brains about what do they think. So oftentimes I will even ask them, you know, how do you think you're doing with your sexual health? Is there anything that you would like to learn about? Is there anything that you would like to improve? And sometimes they're really shocked because they don't really they don't really think about, you know, how is their sexual health? They may think about how is their sex life, but, you know, that is a question that they may not often think about. So I definitely talk to them about that. And I like to really lay it out. So most of the time, you know, I work in clinics where even if it's not already set up like that, I recommend that if someone's coming in for a sexual health visit, that we ask them or have them fill out, you know, a survey about their sexual health before they come in so that I can kind of see what they, you know, indicated and then talk about it from there. So I think like creating a safe environment is just allowing them to kind of look at things by themselves, you know, answer those questions while they're by themselves and then kind of come into the room and have a discussion with you. Thank you, Faith, for that insight. So now after creating that safe space that Faith and I discussed, um, you know, I think the next thing is to um, sit down and evaluate the, you know, the kind of the risk assessment um, related to what is the likelihood of, of getting HIV um, over a lifetime. The CDC came out with a great um, figures about, you know, um, one out of two um, black African-American gay and bisexual men would likely um, acquire HIV over their lifetime. So it may frame risk in different ways. Um, and I may ask what risk means to them and how they've heard it. And then I start going into, you know, PrEP may be an option for you to, you know, in your life based on your current sexual risk. And what I 
make sure I highlight it and set the stage for is that, you know, it doesn't have to be a decision that's made today. Don't get overwhelmed. You know, let's let's maybe talk about your STIs if that's what you came in for. You're you're scared you got chlamydia or you've got fear because you had syphilis. But I do start laying out that prep is out there. We don't have to rush into a decision, but this is what it is. And so before I go into prep, I ask, have you heard of it? And then I want to know how did they hear about it? Um, what are some like, you know, things that they heard about it? They may cause fear. Like I've had quote unquote, well, it's going to kill my liver or my kidney. I've heard that it does that. I start trying to dispel myths and then I start going into the education about what is prep and what does prep look like over the years. Now I'm going to, um, you know, turn it back to you, Faith. Um, what do you do after you kind of set the stage and you're getting into that prep discussion? Now, when it comes to, you know, perception of risk, uh, regardless of what the client says, if they're saying something, you know, in the in the respect of they may not think that they can benefit for PrEP or they do not believe that they are at risk for HIV, you definitely want to make sure that you're referencing back to what they have indicated with their sexual activity. You know, hey, you're saying this, but you did indicate this. So what are some ways that we can make sure that we're, you know, uh, staying safe or having safer sex? So I think that definitely making sure that they know what is going to possibly put them at risk or make them a beneficial person to be starting PrEP um, can really put things in per, into perspective for them. So definitely asking them what are their thoughts and making sure that they really know, you know, what the real deal is. Thank you, Faith, for those insights. Um, you know, I think we also need to talk about some of the realities with the virtual world. So I think some of the, you know, when we start having the conversation in terms of initiating prep over um, the virtual world, I think we need to really hone in on some logistics so that, you know, there's success in that prep care continuum. So I usually ask how, you know, will you get to a lab? Is there a lab near you? Um, you know, do you have safe spaces at home over time? Or are you mobile for us to connect over the virtual kind of platform every three months? You know, what is your plan for every three month visits and getting labs and going to the pharmacy? What help do you need? And do you need a peer navigator? Does that need to be in person? Does that need to be through um, teleprep, maybe just on the phone, um, helping you at the pharmacy? So I think that's after discussing and if we've gone through someone wants prep, I start diving into the logistics of in-person, virtual, and hybrid, and how do they see their care? When should they come in person, especially if they're having any genital lesions, discharge, a rash, and they want to be seen? Um, you know, incorporating primary care is very important, a full thorough physical exam. Remember, PrEP is the gateway to healthcare. I want everyone to have a full exam um, soon after I see them, within three months if possible, and then at least annually. So those are some things I think about when we're talking about in-person, hybrid, and virtual. Faith, do you have any comments about kind of that platform and PrEP care? Well, I think everything that you said is great. And I really do think that having teleprep has really been a game changer because you are able to, you know, have an easier access to these clients. Now they do still have to figure out how they're going to, you know, get their lab work and kind of maintain that situation. So I really like what you said about talking to them about an action plan. You know, if you kind of just talk to them and say, I'm going to start you on prep, you need to come in and that's it 
they may not have all of the tools to really understand what that means to be consistent. Like we talked about before, they may not have taken a daily pill. Um, they may not understand that, you know, if you don't take this pill every day and you, you, you know, you um, don't take it for a few days that you're kind of starting back at, you know, point zero. So you really want to make sure that they know that this is something that they have to really, you know, manage. And it's not something that's difficult, just something that they have to make sure that they think about as they continue to take care of their sexual health. Excellent. So now that we went over some of the real world cases that may come into your um, clinic space, um, just the key takeaways from this webinar would be, you know, telehealth is an option that we all have today. PrEP services are increasingly being provide through telehealth. It does have the potential to increase access, but, but please be mindful about the inequities that can also breed when you have um, you know, lack of access to safe spaces and technology. This goes on to our second point that programs really need to ensure all the pre-implementation setup that you need for a successful telehealth visit. Um, and also mechanisms to incorporate all the other parts of the healthcare system, including pharmacy, laboratory, and referral appointments. And basically, programs should develop a company navigation programs that is standard of care and consider same-day prep prescribing, as well as um, really robust ways to support adherence and insurance navigation, medication acquisition, and referrals for mental health and social support. I want to thank everyone in the audience for listening today. Take care. This activity is certified by PVI, Peer Review Institute for Medical Education. This activity is developed with our educational partner, Health HIV. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash AHC 860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated.